Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. And we are back with another edition of the Owl Chat Podcast basketball postgame show to recap the Owls' 84-77 win over USC Upstate this past Saturday. I went on the road. I was at the game. Uh, the fellas were all watching at home. Um, good road win for the Owls. Fellas, how are we feeling tonight? Uh, we won. I'm feeling great. Can't complain. Um, I enjoyed watching the game. Um, not as much as the Asheville game or some of the other ones, uh, but that's, you know, that's on the refs, which uh, we'll talk about soon. Yeah. <clears throat> and a non-conference road win is always going to be a, a great, uh, a great treat for us. So uh, shout out to the guys. It was a, wasn't the cleanest game ever, but we'll jump into that. But hey, a win is a win. Yeah, so like I said, I got to make the trip and got to experience the smallest gym in uh, Division One. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk any trash on their people or anything because everybody was very nice, very helpful um, with you know getting me where I needed to be and all that. But I it felt like a high school game. It was weird. It was like you walk into this you know big lobby and there's like a concession stand on like a little like foldable table and i'm like wow this is uh this is a throwback um so an interesting experience for sure but um i will say like uh it was probably the loudest i've ever heard 500 people (laughs) um they had trouble filling it up and um what i've come to learn is that the usc upstate fan base doesn't really exist and everybody that goes to those games is you know either a student or another athlete or a parent or something um i mean it's tough as it is when you got to compete with other small majors in your city and in your county so um nothing against usc upstate they were very hospitable but um i didn't get to watch the broadcast and i haven't gotten a chance to rewatch the game so um how was that experience for you guys well first off did you see the official attendance number i did not what was it 472. Okay. So I shot a little high. Yes, it happens. Uh, but yeah, the broadcast I thought was fine. Um, I, I just was, the game was just plodding along just so slowly. And, you know, but other than that, I thought it went uh, pretty well. You know, nothing egregious like the uh, ECU announcers, no Adam Ayoka uh, making appearances tonight. But other than that, I thought it was good. Yeah, that's yeah. good to hear. Go ahead, Regan, say something there. No, no complaints for me at all. It's it's interesting watching the broadcast. Sometimes they they can't quite see what's going on as well as we can from the from the camera angle. Um, they were confused a few times for a few minutes on what the reviews were were. But um, yeah, they kudos to to those guys. They were uh, Adam McCoy was pronounced correctly to John's point. It was it was a good day to to watch the game. Good. I will note I was asked by one of them, and I forget which one, how to pronounce Ranji before the game started. So I hope he got that one right. Um, but yeah, so getting into the the summary of the game for those who uh, couldn't watch for whatever reason. So um, we got off to a pretty slow start offensively and we trailed for most of the first half, um, but we never let the deficit get larger than two possessions. Quincy Adamakoya hit his first three point attempt of this of the night as time expired in the first half to give us our largest lead at the time at 40 to 36 uh, headed into the locker room. Upstate came out uh, of the half strong, scoring the first seven points of the period. Um, it was back and forth pretty much the whole um, rest of the way. Um, and then with under a minute left, the Owls possessed the ball with a 79 to 77 lead. Um, ended up being somewhat of a broken play. Um, Cottle had the ball poked away from him. He was able to regain possession and drained one from about 35 feet out um, to uh, all but put the dagger in the hearts of the Spartan faithful. 
Um, after a few Quincy Adam McCoy free throws, the final score would end up being 84 to 77 to improve the Owls record to seven and three on the year. Good for the best start through 10 games in program history since making the jump to D1. Uh, always got to throw that note in there. Uh, Terrell Burden led the Owls in scoring with 20 points with Jamel King not far behind at 18. Um, Burden was also great on the defensive end, picking up five steals along the way um, while staying out of foul trouble. I don't think he picked up his first foul till um, the final five minutes of the game. Um, and then Demond Robinson remained consistent as always, uh, put up a stat line of 15 points to go along with nine boards. And then Frank Juan Sherman um, played a big bench role after seeing his minutes cut a few weeks back, uh, bringing down nine boards in 17 minutes. I think Petway said, um, and I haven't checked to see if this was true, but he grabbed five consecutive on five consecutive possessions. Um, so good night off the bench for uh, Frank Juan Sherman. Fellas, I will uh, give John the floor to start this time. Um, initial thoughts on how last night went. Yeah, Aaron said it at the top of the show, you know, a road win is a road win. I don't care if it's ugly, sloppy or whatnot. And I think this is our first one of the year. I guess ECU would have counted as one if we got that. But, um, you know, I felt that we were below average in terms of how we can play. Um, I just felt we kind of out-talented them to take it to them. Uh, we had a, you know, we're a little bit better inside. Uh, I think we had some, you know, plus 10 points in the paint. Um, we had 12 assists, 15 turnovers, not great. We turned it over more. They did out rebound us by two. They put up 11 more shots, but we did manage to shoot 52% from the field for the game, held them to 34%. And that was really the difference. Um, the owls were what 17 of 23 or something free throw shooting, which is amazing when you consider what we've gone through over the past couple of weeks. So that was pretty big. Uh, the game was back and forth, uh, tied 11 times, 17 different lead changes. Um, you know, it, it was just, it was an experience also watching in that, uh, you know, that tiny arena. Um, Aaron, before I swing it to you, I'll just ask you this question. Did everybody, did that small arena just make all of our players look huge? Like, especially RJ <laughs> Johnson? <laughs> I think RJ Johnson always looks huge. For, and I think the defense would would attest to that and whoever he's playing against. but. <clears throat> really to piggyback on, on your first point that you mentioned, they out rebounded us by two. I think they had four offensive rebounds in the first possession, if not five. Um, so from then on, we, we were about even on there. Um, we, we, we won an ugly game. We didn't play as, as clean as possible. We had more turnovers than typical. And, you know, Terrell Burden had eight turnovers compared to his one, uh, in the previous contest against Asheville. Um, but I mean, that's not a knock on him. He's handling the ball all the time, but it just wasn't a clean game all the way around. And, and you wonder, you know, a non-conference road game in early December and that kind of gym really just what kind of energy level goes into it or preparation or whatever the case may be. But, but I'm glad we were able to get a win. And, and Kai, that's news to me. Seven and three is the, is the high mark through 10 games in the D1 era. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I think we started six and four last year. Um, and this year and last year we played two non D ones early in the year. So, um, you know, it's about equal. Um, but yeah, uh, I, well said, Aaron, I think, um, upstate actually game planned really well. Um, they knew we were going to try and push the pace like we always do. Um, they tried to slow it down and they really succeeded and it felt like they controlled the pace for a lot of that first half. And then early into the second half, you know, felt like we were kind of playing at their speed. Um, they weren't afraid to hack our guys, which I think was, um, the smart move. Um, obviously we're going to attack the basket and go fast. Like we always do. Um, but you know, they weren't afraid to send guys to the line, um, and, you know, get into the bonus early. I think like both teams were in the bonus with like 10 minutes left to go in the first and second half. Um, so they ran those up. Um, 
they caught us off guard a little bit early um, by how well they rebounded the ball. Um, we were getting killed on the glass in the first half, and we were able to catch up in the second half. And I think um, Nick just put in the notes that uh, we did end up out-rebounding them on the defensive end, but on the offensive glass, they killed us. I think it was 16-6. to six. I'd have to fact-check that. Um, but yeah, it, it felt like they threw us off. But like John said, we were able to kind of out-talent them, um, out-shoot them, um, and, you know, really out athleticize them. One more thing before I go to you, John, um, you talked about RJ Johnson, just looking huge. There was a student behind me that asked him <laughs> when he was right there, like, Hey, why aren't you playing middle linebacker? It's like, yeah, I mean, the guy is massive. So that's did RJ reply to him? <laughs> no, no. Uh, our guys, um, did a really good job of being unfazed by the upstate baseball team that was sitting right behind our bench, um, <laughs> giving us everything we could. Um, so credit to them for keeping their heads. RJ should have said that he's going to walk on, just wait and see or something like that. So uh, that would have been a good answer. But I, I really, to your point, I really didn't think we picked up the pace and played our own game until about five or six minutes left in the first half. Um, before that, it was very, you know, plotting. Um, you know, I've kind of put on Twitter that, you know, the game summary, Upstate tried to control the pace. Hennessy State wants to drink some Panera lemonades and, uh, you know, kind of ended up off and on meeting in the middle. Uh, so the first half was a bit of a, a mixed bag. I'm glad we kind of pulled away towards the end to get that four uh, point lead at half. And I thought that was pretty big. Yeah. And then uh, it is worth mentioning the uh, refs in this game were uh, a little bit all over the place. Um, one thing that kept happening was Simeon Cottle, I think got called for three fouls, um, two in the first half, one in the second half where he uh, was called for not giving the three point shooter enough space to land. Um, and all of those calls were kind of iffy. Um, also, at one point, they had given Cottle four fouls and um, the scorers table was standing by that for like a good, you know, five, 10 minutes. And there was a, a long pause in the second half trying to figure out who had what fouls. Um, but they did end up getting it right. Um, and they moved Cottle back to three fouls. Um, so they were kind of all over the place. Uh, I have only seen one of the replays from those. Um, I want to ask you guys how that looked on TV, just those three point fouls, because they ended up getting, I think, nine points at the line um, in total from those calls. Yeah, it was Tim who kind of picked up on the first two. So I didn't really see those or go back. But the third one we put all over Twitter. And it looks like the guy was doing a freaking broad drum, broad jump, like on a track and field where he shoots it and just jumps as far forward as he can until he lands on the defender. It was kind of ridiculous. Um, I, I It pissed me off because like, you know, you got to call that somehow. There has to be a rule against that. You know, let, you know, you're supposed to let the offensive player land. But I mean, yeah, you're going to you're going it, to it's a it's a unique situation because I think that was generally his shot. Now, he he did. You, you weren't exaggerating. He probably jumped forward two feet and and Simeon, he had a late closeout, a strong closeout. Um, any other shooter probably in the in the country, you're not you're not having a, a three point shot where you just launch yourself forward two feet and you get a foul. So it was it was a little bit of his natural shot. But the refs have to understand that you don't get a circle around you that's five feet that a defender can't be in, in your area. So I don't, I don't like the foul call. I think there, I think there is something to take away from that for Simeon, like being a little more disciplined. I, I don't expect anything like that to happen in the future with somebody jumping that far forward on three point shot. But um, I can see why maybe the the first or second call was, was given to the, to the shooter, but three calls, those were, those were daggers. That's a lot of free throws for, for the other team. And even Trey Young thought that was ridiculous. I mean, damn. I mean, it's like 
I, like I said, or like you said, Aaron, the first two, you maybe give it to him, but it's like the third one. It's almost like they were waiting for it to happen. And it was weird that it kept happening to Simeon, you know, because that it's like hasn't been an issue before. Um, it, it looked like every time the shooter was kind of pushing his legs out, which should be an offensive foul. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, you know, it ultimately didn't result in a loss. So it's something Simeon can learn from and just know you kind of got to be um you know over disciplined when it comes to guarding that three-point shot but also like what is he supposed to do um yeah it's something that the refs can learn from i mean those guys were those guys were awful and talk about restraint how did petway not get a technical like i would have lost my shit after the second one it was really close um he, he was in the ref's ear the whole game um a few times worse than others um, I'm honestly surprised it didn't escalate to that uh, either. I think it came down to none of those calls ended up being that crucial to the outcome of the game. Had it happened, you know, with like a few minutes to go um, and we're, you know, trailing by one, I think it might've been a different story, but I think every time it happened, we were in the lead. So. No, I'll take it. Uh, we won the game. I'm glad because if we lost that game, I would be fuming. That would be one of those ones that I'd look back on and it would it would probably piss me off even more than ECU. You know, it's like ECU, it's like, ah, oh, well, what are you gonna do? You right. know, shit happens. With this one, it's like, like, are you kidding me? Like right. the refs just had to not be complete morons. So I'm I'm glad we won. Right. And like ECU, like you said, as heartbreaking as it was, we were kind of playing with house money. So even though it sucked the way we lost, we were all kind of like, ah, whatever. We were kind of going and expecting a loss anyways. This time it's like, okay, you know, this is uh, a road game against you know, upstate isn't great. They're no world beaters, but they're middle of the road, big South team. They're not terrible. You know, they could beat us at home. Um, and it's like, okay, this is one that we're favored in and we should go out and win. Um, and if there had been some, you know, BS going on that cost us the game, uh, it probably, like you said, I would be at the most pissed off I've been all year. Um, so totally agree. Yeah. And one more thing. Um, I, I love how the arena was so small and, you know, we have a, a decent sized staff and roster. All our guys were like curled around um, the baseline. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was cramped. Um, I mean, we had like three assistant coaches um, in the second row. <laughs> it was tight. And then I think at one point in the first half, Terrell Burton uh, flew into the the padded wall behind the basket, like where the cheerleaders all are, because that side was tight, too. So, yeah, it was cramped. That was like me at the YMCA. It felt like a YMCA game. Oh, man. yeah. With the padded wall, man. You just so you don't yeah. like go full speed into it off of like a layup or something. That's that's so I love it, man. Yeah, no, I really don't want to spend too much time talking about their arena. But man, it just it didn't feel like a college basketball game. It felt like a summer pickup run or like just a, you know, high level high school game on a weekday that, you know, doesn't get the attendance it deserves. It was it was a weird feeling, I will say. And I mentioned this to you guys um, just over text. I do really respect that they still have their 1981 NAIA national title banner up. Um, and you can tell that it's been up there since 1981. I mean, the thing is old school. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I, I like the small gym because I not again, not to dwell on it, but I think it's part of the charm. That way, when you bring it in high school recruits, you can know, hey, man, don't you want to stay young forever? Now you can feel like you're in high school another four years. <laughs> I mean, how can you not love it? It is kind of cool just having something notable. You know, it's like they undercut Charleston Southern and they're like, OK, we're going to go three, three seats under what you guys have just so we can, you know, have that title for whatever it's worth. Yeah. Chuck South. I don't know. They're the one in two smallest arenas. I don't know which one is smaller, but my God. But yeah, enough about uh, those guys. Hopefully we don't play them again next year, because if you know, if I see one more flop from that Bailey kid, I'm going to lose my shit. 
Yeah. Well, anyways, we'll move on, but also stick with Cottle. Um, so with the time winding down on the shot clock, I think 30 seconds left in the game, Cottle throws up a heave. Um, and I'm watching it. I'm like, that looks good. I, when he, when it left his hand, I just had a feeling that it was going in and we were due for one of those kind of shots. Um, Nick mentioned, you know, in our group chat during the game or just right after the game that it was eerily reminiscent of the Chris Youngblood shot against Liberty last year um, to kind of give us the dagger there. Um, so what was going through y'all's heads when you see all that on the broadcast? I thought it looked good too. And whenever Simeon Cotto puts it up, you know, I'm not going to doubt that there's a chance that it goes in. I don't care, you know, where he launches it from. I mean, he's got some range, it looks like. And, you know, the last owl I can think of with that kind of range is like a guard is like Kendrick Ray from like five, six years ago. Um, You know, he could put it up three, four feet behind the line and still have it look good. But yeah, that was an insane shot. Um, But what does Simeon Cottle, uh, full throttle Cottle, what does he have to do to get on SportsCenter? That's the question. I mean, come on. Not play in USC Upstate's high school gym. Uh, going back to that. Uh, no, that, what, I, what I'll say is, is you, the Al Chat podcast tweeted out, it, it's time to buy stock in, in Simeon Cardle. Like, I, I don't tweet much, as you guys know, but I almost threw a tweet out and said, like, it's too late now. Like, we should have been buying stock games ago, if not last season. Um, this guy, whenever he puts the ball in the air, you think it's going in. 75% uh, from three against Upstate. Um, I wouldn't mind if he shot seven or eight threes a game in the offense. And I mean, I mean, this was a completely broken play that the fans and the the other, you know, the bench were screaming for an over and back call. Like it, it in crunch time and he hits a nearly half court three and you just kind of expect it from him at this point, which is unfair to him. But he has earned that, and he just has like some cold-blooded, you know, whatever going through him. Or it's like, man, this guy is a stud, and I and I am happy that he's with us. Because if those were if those shots were going in against us, uh, we'd have a different conversation on this podcast. Right. It's a very good point. Right. It's a uh, it's a shame that he you know got in that foul trouble in the first half um, with those you know iffy calls because he was hot. I mean, he was five of seven, three of four from three, and only played twenty five minutes. You know, if he plays 30 to 35 minutes, who knows? Maybe he puts up, you know, 20 to 25 points. Um, It's entirely possible. Um, But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, like, it was, you know, when he was on the court, it was the most complete game he's played all season, um, except for maybe the Georgia State game. So, yeah, but I do want to pose this question because it's something we talked about a few episodes ago. Are we starting to answer the question we talked about a few weeks ago about Simeon Cottle being that big shot late game type of player for us this year? I still have the same answer. Um, you know, whoever's got the ball and whoever's got either the hot hand. I mean, we have multiple guys who are not afraid to take that shot. Multiple guys who have tournament experience like Adam McCoya, Burden, Robinson, Cottle. I'm comfortable wherever the play may land. I don't want some I don't want Cottle to try and, you know, dribble it past three different people and take a contested shot, which hell he might hit. But I, I don't I would prefer somebody take an open look, you know. So I guess it's the same answer that I've gave a couple weeks ago. Um, Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I think if you if if you have two options of of Cottle with a with an open three or a semi-contested three or Terrell Burden going and beating his guy off the dribble, which happens quite literally 99% of the time for a reverse layup, like you can't you can't go wrong with either of those options. And and both of them are playmakers. Um, both of them are unselfish players, which kudos to the team going off topic a little bit. I haven't seen one possession of selfish basketball this whole season. 
but I digress. Those two guards that we have, whatever option they have, I I am comfortable with both of them having the ball in their hands. It's it's a win-win. Yeah, and we had five starters and double figures, and that's kind of a routine thing. We have five, six, sometimes seven starters with, you know, 10-plus points. And, again, I like it spread around. And, you know, just to take your question, Kai, and just kind of turn it around, uh, something that I saw debated a little bit on Twitter, what is the best nickname for Simeon Cottle? Do we go full throttle coddle or Himion coddle? Or do you have any other suggestions? I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of potential with that name. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it needs a good one. And I'm going to take a backseat and not give him one because that's, you know, not something I'm good at. Um, but I guess I was more asking um, not what we want to see, but are we starting to see where Petway leans in these end of game situations? You know what I mean? I still don't know because, you know, Cottle just happened to have the ball there as the shot clock was winding down. This wasn't a pre-planned play or anything like that. So I can't really, you know, say that. But, you know, I'll, anytime he has the ball in his hands, I'm I'm not going to complain. And same with Quincy, same with Burden. Right. Just quickly, if you're thinking, are you trying to get the ball inside the paint or trying to keep the ball outside? Like, depending on what shot you need, too, you might lean more of like if you you only need two points and you feel good getting the ball to demand inside then, I mean, he could even be an answer in that case. He was probably the only name that wasn't thrown out among the other ones that we talked. 100%. I think um, what scares you a little there is like in a late game situation, if DeBond's getting the ball and he gets fouled, he's not a great free throw shooter. You know, so that's a risk you take. But neither is Burden. Um, but still, uh, yeah, it's just something to think about. Um, Cottle is undeniably clutch, and that's what's uh, that's what's important. But we do have other options. Burden won the game for us, you know, several times last season. Um, like Aaron said, just beating his guy off the dribble. So it's definitely nice to have options, and I guess not have like a set guy that we go to late game. Um, but I think Cottle has definitely kind of earned the responsibility of you know having his number called when needed to. Um, but we'll move along and, uh, Aaron, we'll go to you. We'll talk about demand. He had 15 and nine. Like I said earlier, he's been easily our most consistent player all year. Um, what did you like? What'd you not like out of demand the other night? What did I like was how, how consistent we can look ahead probably the next half dozen games and, and give you a pretty good idea what his stat sheet is going to look like and, and the impact on the game. He, he is Mr. Consistency. Um, he's really the glue to the team in terms of really just like, he is quick enough to to hang with the guard for a possession or two. He's strong enough to hold his own on the block. Um, I did notice, I think this is the third game in a row where we're starting the game with a post entry to DeMond. And I don't know if it's wanting to get him touches early, if it's the coaching staff looking to see how they're going to defend the post. And, and I think they doubled him on that possession and, and really give us a game plan for the rest of the game. Um, or if it's just us understanding that we have an advantage down there. Um, What's going to be interesting to me is, is this, as the second half of the season, you know, gets going, how are we going to really not run our offense? Cause we know who we are. We know who our, our identity is, but DeMond's strength is not running up and down the floor and setting screens and then hoping for a rebound and, and this, that, and the other, like he needs the ball in the post. And yeah, he can do a lot of, he can, he can be really beneficial to our team, you know, in the role he has now. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of two separate game plans or two different offenses that we can run and, and slow it down and get him the ball and get a guaranteed good shot attempt or, you know, 
get our guards some great threes and great looks. And I think it's going to be a challenge sprinkling those two different offensive strategies in throughout the, throughout each game. Cause, cause you can't complain with it, what DeMond's doing. He's, he is always going to, whether you get get him a shot or not in an organized set, or if he just gets an offensive rebound and a tip in, um, he's going to be Mr. Consistency and, and you know what you're going to get from him game in game out. Right. So one thing I did notice with DeMond and please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, last night when he did find himself um, out on the perimeter on defense, he actually did a pretty good job. And maybe that's just because they didn't attack him enough, but he looked calm. He looked solid um, and he didn't get beat. I think a single time on the perimeter. Um, yeah. and you, I mean, I'd have to fact check that and go back and watch because I could have easily missed something, but um, I thought he looked a lot more comfortable out there, which is a good thing. Oh, he has some of the quickest feet on the team, let alone for, for a six, nine big man. Uh, he's extremely quick. He's smart defensively too. Um, and again, kudos to the entire team. I was trying to, I was looking at, at our defense and it was few and far between how, if we got beat off of the dribble, like our guys are on an Island a lot of the times and just trusting them to defend one-on-one and not overhelp. Like our guys have so much defensive intensity, like we don't need to overhelp so much. So kudos to our guys. And, and again, demand is no, is no, you know, uh, he, he's no exception to that on, on the perimeter. He can hold his own for sure. Yeah. Um, our other big or quote unquote big, our four Ranji Gordon did have kind of a rough night. And I think one of the things he did struggle with was the overhelp. I think there was a shot in the first half where he came in and crashed the paint to try and help Demond down low. Um, and they kicked it out to the corner, hit a three on us and he immediately got subbed out. Um, so I'll ask the room. I mean, what do we make of Ranji's performance? Um, what are y'all's biggest criticisms and how do we kind of, I guess I'm trying to find a way to phrase this. Um, just what do we take from Ranji's performance? Cause it wasn't his best showing, um, but he's been consistent for us all year. I don't take much from it. It's one game. You flush it. Um, you know, I'm sure he knows he needs to be better. Um, you know, he made some winning plays last game versus, uh, Asheville. He did not make winning plays. He actually made, you know, the opposite, um, against upstate. So again, it's one game. I'm not worried. I'm also probably not, you know, changing the starting lineup or anything like that. Uh, but if this becomes, you know, one or two more times that this happens, yeah, uh, Sherman's probably going to, you know, get back in there. Yeah. What, what I'll say to, to about, about Ranji is he's, he's a, a role player and not in a, you don't, you don't say that in a, you know, a dismissive way. He's sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. So a few possessions early in the game, maybe, you know, he, he doesn't get the ball or he doesn't have an opportunity to make an impact on the game. Um, he's, you know, he's doing everything he can out there on, on defense over helps a few times and not understanding that, you know, you got to stay strong with your guy or the, or the ball handler is, is under containment from the, the primary defender, but sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way, especially as a role player. He's, he's not going to be able to go out there and control the ball and really dictate his own game. He's going to go with the flow of, of what our ball handlers are going to, are going to distribute and things like that. So no, nothing against uh, Ranji. I know it was not his best game, but I have nothing but confidence that he'll bounce back as, you know, the previous six, seven games, he's been, a, he's been a star out there and making all of all the dirty plays too. So um, I'm not, I'm not uh, dissuaded from him going forward. He he'll be, he'll bounce back. Right. For sure. He'll get uh he'll get more looks and honestly hoping we keeping him in the starting lineup, you know, just to give him a chance to kind of get his flow back. Um, I will say we did probably get kind of lucky because, you know, Cole, Cole LaRue didn't make the trip because he was sick. And then uh, demand was able to play 32 minutes. Um, and, you know, Ranji was having an off night. Um, it was good that Sherman came in and, uh, you know, really helped us out. Um, 
But yeah, um, in, you know, a night that where that could have been a real issue um, with Ranji having an off night. I'm glad it didn't come back to bite us in the butt. Yeah. But you know who didn't have an off night? The guy in my profile picture um, who I cannot change because I changed it to Jamel King fan and changed my profile picture to his picture after the Asheville game when he had that big block and that big uh, force the steal or the turnover. And now I can't change it back because of X's stupid rules. They're, you know, concerned about, you know, people, you know, impersonating other accounts. So I'm stuck with Jamel King as my profile picture. So that's who I am for like the last five days or whatever it's been. And I still can't turn it back. Uh, so I'm glad he had a big game. It was 18.7 rebounds, seven of eight free throw attempts, which was huge, huge. And, you know, he's getting more consistent uh, I think I said earlier in the year, you know, when I first saw him play, I'm like, you know, this looks like a guy who's going to get eight to 10 points per game. Um, you know, if he keeps this up, we're probably looking at a guy that's going to get like 12 to 13 points per game. So we'll have to see, you know, where this ends up. Um, the one thing, you know, I don't like about King, he hit some big threes, but I felt there were, you know, one or two things, two uh, possessions. Maybe he needs to improve his shot selection just a touch. Like he was, you know, a couple feet behind the line when he took a three. Uh, but I'll go to producer Nick, who has a take on this. No, John, I, it's actually a question for you. So if he continues to have these performances, are you willing to keep the Jamel King fan account alive for the entire 23-24 season? I thought about that actually today because I'm sick of getting pissed off about this. Like, why can't I change my picture back? You know, the, I just let it go. Um, but I just have to ask, like, does he have to keep like topping his previous performances? Like, how do how do we assess this? Keep impressing, I guess. Week, we'll make it a weekly segment. Did he do enough to continue to? Earn? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he. I, I I like the fact that he reached out and engaged, like, with the fans and everything. Like, he re, he retweeted what you had put out, quote tweeted it, and said, "How would I do?" And everyone was in in the comments and everything so but i i just i don't know yeah i think we need to ask that question every week and decide does it stay I love alive that. i was gonna say um it's a good thing that he's well aware of it you know <laughs> maybe we'll get him to tune into the podcast at some point uh, yeah, make this a recurring segment that would be that would be great um and i'm thinking you know even if i can change it back maybe i'll just kind of uh you know keep the profile picture but i'll change my name back to my normal name so people know it's me but, you know, maybe I'll just keep the picture until he has a bad game. So, yeah, what happens when he uh, shoots 0 of 5 from 3 and fouls out in 21 minutes? What are we doing then, John? Oh, man. Act like nothing ever happened? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, who is this guy? No, um, I'll I'll change my profile picture to Mr. Kaimalet. Oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, so unless you guys have nothing else to add on Jamel, we can move on to the freshman. Uh, well, I, I do want to talk about one thing real quick about the pace of the game. I just thought it was very helter-skelter um, throughout big portions of the game, you know, where it's like, where you have that kind of feeling um, where you're like, oh my God, just stop, stop. You're going to, you know, you're going to turn it over. You're out of control. Just, just, you know, I know we want to play fast. Sometimes you play fast and it's good and you kind of see, okay, something good's going to happen. But other times, you know, you're watching the game and you're just like, oh God, he's going to turn it over. Oh God, you know, where's he going to throw this to? And I kind of just felt it was, it was bad uh, helter-skelter. And what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think I mentioned at the beginning for me is it was not a clean game. Um, I don't think we can expect many clean games with how our offense is, just how we're going to run the offense. And and 
what I will say about Helter Skelter is we might be the best Helter Skelter team in the country. Like we're, we're going to get possessions. We're going to get shots. We're going to get good shots. We're going to offensively rebound pretty well as well. So like, yeah, it was, it was not a, a, a beautiful game to watch and it's not going to go down as a, as a classic anytime soon, but like we are finding ways to win is the, is the bright side of that thing. So it's, it wasn't pretty. I think we are trying to figure out our offense a little bit more as we're, we're getting closer and closer to conference. Um, and, and I'll just continue it like an a early December con- non-conference road game in a high school gym. Like it's, it's going to be hard to, you know, play your most motivated, most disciplined game ever. Like it's, we just, we're going to have games like this just by who we are and, and how we play. And it, it, I'm just happy we, we got out with the win. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not mad about it um, at all. Um, I, I'm glad it's, I uh, didn't mean to cut you off, Kyle, but I'm glad we, you know, got the win. But, you know, we have been, even for our style of play, as I think you've said in the past, Aaron, you know, our turnover situation is not bad. Um, I just felt like this past game, you know, probably three, four, five too many turnovers for my liking. But again, we're just nitpicking here. We got the win. So, right. I think the turnovers were definitely worse in the first half. And I think a lot of this is credit to Upstate. Like I said, I think they came out and, uh, you know, it was annoying, but I think they game planned well. Um, and they made us try and force the pace. That's what it felt like. You know what I mean? Um, it was like, okay, you know, we got to get going. We got to get going. We got to play our style of play. Um, and then it just threw us all off. And we did have a few, you know, pretty disorganized possessions. But it's like Aaron said, you know, um, we're probably one of the better, you know, uh, unorganized teams in the country. It's like even the FIU game, um, which was, I think we can all agree, our worst showing of the year, um, except for maybe Florida State. It's like we put up 84 points in that game and we look terrible. <laughs> you know, it's like we do so much. It's it's hard for us not to put up big numbers, even when we're off, just because of how fast we go. Yeah. And it's almost not fair for, for us to say it's it's unorganized or helter skelter. I'm like, I'm listening to us talk about it. And I know they work on their offense probably 90 minutes per practice or whatever you want to say. Like they they are good at this offense for a reason. And, it, and it's to, to the casual viewer, we might be like, man, they're just out there trying to find a basket or, you know, trying to get by. But in reality that they are practicing these things. They know where the shooters are going to be in the corner. They know where DeMond's going to be on the block or stealing somebody off. Like we are going to be good at this kind of offense. Cause that's what we practice. And, and it's, and I know we're not coming from a bad place on this, but like to the casual viewer and even us who, that are, are diving in a little bit deeper, like, it looks just out of place sometimes and, and unorganized, but to those guys on the floor, it's it's not unorganized at all. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And I didn't mean helter skelter is like a pejorative or anything like that. It just sometimes, you know, it's like too frenetic, you know, like, come oh, on yeah. guys, just, just, you know, slow it down here for a possession, you know, just, just get your head about you, you know, get right. And then we can speed it up again. You know, it's just, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. Oh, turn it over. You know, just, just calm down for a minute, you know, get, let your floor general lead you know, milk the clock for possession, then get back to it. I think uh, a few other notes on it, like, you know, for the casual fan, like you mentioned, it's going to look chaotic as hell, especially after we watched, you know, what we watched last year with Amir's offense, which was very much, you know, take the ball up the court, run your sets. I mean, they would be quick with it when they needed to, and we were good on the fast break, but it was much more, um, I don't want to say constrained, but much, much tighter, you know, much, uh, much, and discipline's not the right word either, but just much more, you know, I guess intentional with every move. Um, and, you know, we're kind of just like, get the first look you can um, look great. And then another thing people need to realize is it's still very new. I mean, they've, these guys have played 10 games in this offense, you know, and it's the, the first year of the staff, you know, if we give it some time, 
Um, we're putting up 80 plus points every night, you know, as is right now. Um, what's this going to look like at the end of the season? What's this going to look like next year when Petway has all of his guys in? Uh, all things that people need to remember. We'll move on to, uh, I think, a segment that's going to be uh, recurring for us the rest of the way, just because it's already, you know, kind of been something we've talked about on every episode, but just the freshman report. Um, so we'll start with uh, Frank Juan Sherman, who I will label the freshman of the game. Um, he played 17 minutes, like I said, only had four points, but he scored on his only field goal and was two for two at the line um, and grabbed nine rebounds, um, which was honestly uh, game changing for us. And then RJ Johnson um, got into foul trouble early, um, only had four points, uh, was kind of taken out of the game, only played eight minutes. Um, but we'll start with Aaron this time. What did you see out of our freshmen? What did you like? What did you not like? Uh, I liked a lot of things. I liked uh, a few different times they were playing together, which I don't know how much we've seen that this season. Um, they were they were out there together, which is you know confidence in them from the coaching staff. Uh, Frank Juan Sherman, he he looked like a, a seasoned college basketball player. He looked confident. He was attacking the glass, like just nine rebounds in I think seventeen minutes. You mentioned like rebounds aren't just going to fall in your lap. Like you're going to have to bust your butt for those and go after them. Um, that's very impressive. Um, and now RJ Johnson, he, like, he, he's a great player. He's, he plays at a different pace. He plays at a different speed. He's got to be a little more disciplined in terms of foul and, and guarding his and guarding his guys. But like, you feel confident with him and making the, uh, being our primary ball handler. Um, I, I didn't, you know, see a ton of, of positives outside of, you know, his, his poise today, just defensively, he, he, he was in foul trouble, but, uh, they're growing, they're growing up. And, and Frank Juan Sherman was a definite bright spot. Yeah. I've got no complaints about our freshmen. Um, you guys really said it all. So I don't have anything, uh, further to add, uh, really. So. Yeah, no, Frank Juan was great. Um, it's going to be interesting to, you know, see how this keeps developing with his involvement in the rotation. Cause you know, he started the year as a starter, um, then had his minutes cut to where he was playing, you know, five to 10 minutes a game. If that, um, he gets really back into the rotation, um, last night plays 17 minutes. And I think, um, I, I guess it's kind of weird to say, but he kind of proved himself, you know, that he belongs back as an important part of this team. Um, so, uh, no complaints for me either. It was all really good to watch, but we'll move on to, our next segment, uh, before we close out the show, or we've got two more segments, excuse me, but our next segment is player of the game. We'll go around the room. I've got a feeling we might all come to a consensus on this one, um, but not sure. So we'll start with you, John. Yeah, uh, it's got to be Terrell Burden. And I think that's the common common guy that we're going to hear um, from, from the room here. Um, even the Kennesaw State account tweeted out that Burden was the player of the game. He had eight turnovers, but that was offset by, you know, five steals, a couple easy buckets off those steals. He had, he drew two offensive fouls pretty much in what, like a span of one or two minutes. Um, the guy shot nine of 12 shooting after I kind of touched on how low his field goal percentage was. I was like, you know what? I think he'll turn it around, but you know, 34% is not getting it done. And he shot 75%, uh, still only one of three from the free throw line. But again, you know, we're nitpicking here at that point, but burden was tremendous. Um, he played inspired. He should be proud of himself uh, after this effort. There are a couple other, you know, nominees. You could say uh, Cottle for the shot. You could say Jamel King, Damon Robinson, um, you know, even Quincy Adam McCoya, who I don't think we touched on specifically in this podcast. But man, he had some nice blocks, some excellent one on one man defense. The guy can move his feet. Same with Jamel King. So, you know, we have some really good defenders, but I'm going with Burden. 
I'm going to second that uh, Terrell Burton. He 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 filled every category that you can ask uh, as a leader in the stat sheet, whatever you want to look at. Eight turnovers. Yeah, you know, th- those are going to come. He was a little reckless with the ball, especially in the first half, but that's also part of his game a little bit. Um, five steals, six assists, three rebounds, and and he is fighting for rebounds down there too. I would like to to see if there's a way, and I'm sure there is, to track how many fouls he has drawn through the course of the season. Um, he, he is going to draw eight to 10 fouls a game. It feels like, um, offensive fouls, or excuse me, he's drawing an offense, a defensive foul on the offense or attacking the rim. Like this guy, he, he just throws his body around her in, in a, in a way that's going to help our team win every single game. And I, I love the guy. He plays hard. He plays with heart. He is my player of the game. No matter how many times you push him down, uh, you know, your big the big man squash him, he'll keep getting up and you got to respect that. I'm going to make it unanimous and also say Terrell Burden, um, you know, you mentioned the eight turnovers and, you know, that's a lot, but it's also kind of to be expected uh, when he is the primary ball handler. You know, I've been kind of spoiled. I've been watching a lot of Tyrese Halliburton in the NBA who has these crazy, you know, like 29, 15 stat lines with zero turnovers, um, but it's normal, uh, a little bit more than usual. Um, but like you said, John, uh, the five steals kind of, you know, cancels that out in a way. Um, he was one of three from the line, but that's not a big enough sample size to be like, okay, you know, he really screwed us over. I mean, he only missed three, uh, three, uh, shots from the charity strike, but, um, and all being said, I'm also going to say Terrell Burden. I'm glad you highlighted Quincy Adam McCoya because he didn't have, you know, the biggest game stat wise, but he hit two really big shots and had some really important blocks. Um, it was good to see him be clutch because, you know, in the Georgia State game and the Asheville game, I want to say he missed some shots late um, that could have, you know, really, really helped us out. So it was good to see him, um, you know, make big plays when it mattered most. Uh, I think that was definitely something to highlight. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just agree with uh, most of what you said. I, do want to mention I don't want to really normalize the eight turnovers a game. Um, that's way oh, no. too many, regardless, you know, like you know, three, four, maybe five, you know, shit happens. Um, yeah. you know, an eight turnover game, and it was canceled out by all the good that he did. But yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, hopefully we don't see another eight turnover game for a while. And it's you know, just speaks to the team, like, hey, we won not comfortably, but we won fairly fairly kind of decisively even though we had the eight turnovers right we closed out the game well and you know with the eight turnovers i didn't mean to say it like as it was an okay thing or you know we can just normalize this but it is different than like a demand robinson or quincy adam mccoy having eight turnovers just because burden's gonna have the ball so much you know it's like it's you expect those numbers to be a little bit inflated that being said i do agree with you you know not something we want to see every night um, but yeah, uh, it shot 75% from the field. Not much more you could ask, honestly, if you take away the turnovers, he's got a near perfect game. Yeah. You know what? If he can turn the ball over 30 times a game, if we get the win on the road, so any road win and he turns it over 30 times, I'm good with that. Let's we'll just get the win. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad that we're all, you know, thinking the same thing here with the road win. It's like, it doesn't matter to the opponent. It's early in the season. We're still figuring things out. Uh, things can get weird. A road win in college basketball, something you'll always take. I mean, we've made our home a place that's nearly impossible, you know, to get a win. in. I think Queens is the only team since 2021 that's won um, at the convocation center. So you know, that's, it's tough for everybody. Yeah. And we haven't really talked up upstate, I mean, they're not a terrible low major team by any means. You know, we we're more. I've felt since watching the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes that we're more talented, we're more athletic, but like they're not a bad team. Hundred percent agree with you. Um, you know, they're four and six. 
but that's a little misleading. I think they've had some close losses and they've played some high majors, um, but they went on, you know, a run to the big South semifinals last year. Um, I think that they're actually pretty well coached with the resources they do have. Um, that guy, I think his name is Dickerson has been there a long time. Now I think he's going on six or seven years. Um, so he's got his guys. They've got their system. I, honestly, I left the place having a lot of respect for the program. I'm like, you know, this is what you have to work with and you're able to still feel the competitive team year in year out. Yeah. And, you know, going into next weekend's game, I think that's at Presbyterian and they're kind of a you know, similar situation. I'm sure, you know, they probably don't have tons to work with. I think their football team went to non-scholarship recently from FCS and, you know, I, I can't imagine their facilities are that great. Um, no, no, they're not great. Um, and traditionally their basketball program is pretty bad. Um, but this year they're actually not terrible. They've got a win over Vanderbilt this year. Um, so I'll get into it in a minute, but, um, yeah, not, uh, it's a similar game to the upstate game. That's what I'll say for now. Did they beat Van? They beat Vanderbilt. They beat Vanderbilt week one of the season. Jerry Stackhouse's boy boys. Wow. I, I, you know, I was looking at their schedule. I saw they, it was Vanderbilt, uh, 68, 62. And I was, I just assumed they lost. Like I didn't even realize that that was a win. (laughs) No, they got a they got a big win over Vanderbilt, and they're sitting yeah. at six and four this year after I think going five and twenty three last year. So they've already you know <laughs> looked leaps and bounds better than they did last season. Yeah, I'm um, looking at it right now. You know, they just lost to Florida A and M sixty to sixty five. They have some wins over just some really close losses to Elon, an overtime loss to Tennessee Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of tight games, and they beat North Florida A Sun eighty one sixty nine. Beats the Citadel, who's usually at least kind of decent, right? Um, so yeah, this is going to be a uh, pro- might be a little bit tougher than Upstate, I think. Well, Citadel is usually pretty bad, but it is you know a low mid major win, so you know that's definitely a plus for Presbyterian, who's been where they've been over the last couple of years. Sure. Um, it is it is worth mentioning. Uh, they do play a game against a non D one on December the thirteenth, and we get the whole week off. So I think um, rest is going to really really work in our favor. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to stress too much about Mid-Atlantic Christian, <laughs> uh, but you're right about Citadel. I'll probably think in a football, they're usually pretty decent there. Um, but yeah, we have a whole week off to uh, you know prepare for that, rest our bodies, all that kind of stuff. And um, are you are you Nick uh, Nick M or Kai? Are you guys considering making the trip? Uh, I'm considering it. I have not yet decided. Um, I think it's about two hours from Atlanta. So it'll be, you know, if I have the gas money lying around, that's what I'll say. I can tell you, I won't be, uh, I'll have family in town. So I'll be doing a few different things around the Atlanta area, but I, uh, I will be watching. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm considering it, uh, pretty strongly. Actually, I was going to go to the upstate game, actually bought my ticket. And then I saw the weather report. I'm thinking, ah, you know what? Probably not worth it. Considering I can just go next week instead. Or mm-hmm. even the week after against Asheville, you know, if I'm going to do two out of three weekends, why not, you know, drive somewhere where it's sunny and, you know, decent to, you know, decent weather. Why not? Right. I think um, for me, it's kind of between picking between Asheville and Presbyterian. So, yeah, but it's, you know, same, uh, same deal as last time. It's a small gym um, against uh, a competitive team in the big South um, on the road. Uh, don't be surprised if we go out and lose a narrow game. It wouldn't be shocking. Um, I would have been pissed if, you know, we had been screwed over and lost to upstate, but if we had just lost to upstate, um, obviously you're never going to be happy with a loss, but it wouldn't have felt like the end of the world to me. 
Well, uh, you know, upstate being former ASUN uh, rivals, um, you know, it would have pissed me off a little bit more. I've been in that gym multiple times for uh, different games. And, you know, I just, it, it would just tweak me a little bit more. Aaron, um, you've played upstate. Do you happen to remember anything about the gym? I think we might've touched on this last time, but is, did anything spark your memory? Uh, no, nothing sparked the memory. I, I do remember the, the locker room. I remember the entry. I remember the, the like six rows or seven rows of fans that sit behind you. Um, it, it, I remember, you know, I, like I said, I had my one three point make. I believe it was my junior year, maybe my senior year and that corner across from the Kennesaw bench. But yeah, you know, you didn't remember too much of that game that those games, except for, uh, I know we got a few wins, which is the best part. And do you remember any of the former uh, players besides uh, Tori Craig and Ty Green? I think I might remember a couple few, a few of them off the top of my head. You remember any, you might have uh, matched up against. <laughs> you throw them out and I'll, I'll see if All I right. remember. All right. Uh, Ricardo Glenn. I do. He was a big man. Wasn't he? Yes, sir. Remember anything about that besides knowing he's a big man? Um, I'm I think I should based on your question, but <laughs> it's blocked out that period of his life, you know, going the Lewis Preston era is just blacked out in your mind. I get <laughs> or, it. You know, wait, wait, maybe maybe he like dropped 30 on you and you're just like selectively not remembering. He may have. He may he may have, but I don't let me let me try to think. I'm Ricardo Glenn. I, I remember the guy. I remember look, I remember I can see what he looks like right now, but uh what what happened, John? You tell me. Uh, no, I, I didn't look. I'm just throwing out names. Oh. You knew. And there was no. John Maxey. I don't know if that one rings a bell. No, it sounds um, like a shooter, though. Yeah, probably. You know what? For our midweek, we'll have to do some research and see how uh, Ricardo Glenn did in his matchups against Aaron Anderson. So we will get back to you on the midweek update with that. <laughs> I can't wait. Absolutely. And speaking of the midweek update, we'll go a little bit more in depth with our uh, preview of Presbyterian. Um, but just for the hell of it, guys, I'll go around the room um, to predict right now. How do we see the uh, the next one going on Saturday? Ah, I'm kind of with you, Kai. You know, it, it could go either way. Um, I'd like to think it's going to be a win because it's Presbyterian. And, you know, I, I'd like to think I haven't seen them play. So, you know, it's kind of like picking a game when you're kind of blindfolded. But I'd like to think that we're going to be more athletic than them. Right. I want to be clear before you continue. This is just like before looking into the way they play, before looking at their numbers, anything. So just have fun with it. Sure. I'm going to say that we win 69 to 63. Wow. All I'm right. I'm going to say that we win. It score doesn't matter. Jamel has a double-double. I'll take it. There we go. Stays as the, the fan account for another week. Uh, this is a game we, we need to win. And it's a non-conference game. However, we can separate ourselves from the A-Sun uh, and the win-loss column and as well as just playing good basketball and winning games that are 50-50. We're going to win. Uh, DeMond, he's going to go one for two from three, uh, season high in points and rebounds. Right. Uh, I agree with y'all. I really hope that there's kind of an extra sense of urgency because you look at the rest of this non-conference schedule and we've got at UNC Asheville, a game we could easily drop a game. We'll probably be an underdog in. Um, then we've got Brescia, which, you know, hopefully the staff doesn't do this, but I'll go ahead and pencil in a win there. Um, and then we've got at, at Indiana where we'll be, you know, 15 to 20 point underdogs. Um, so this potentially being the last mid to low major game and Nick's making a face at me. I want to beat Indiana too. Trust me. Um, we should have, we should have beat them last year. I, I still have mixed feelings about that game. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm out for revenge this year. 
We'll see. We'll see. But apparently, you know, we were uh, great guests and uh, a nice little resume booster for him last year. So they're having us back. Um, but yeah, like I said, this there's a chance that this is the last, you know, mid-major team that we beat um, in the non-conference schedule. So I hope there's a, a sense of urgency there. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You have Brescia, which either sounds like a skin condition or the medication that's used to treat that skin condition. Uh, then you have Asheville, which is, like I said, that's going to be their revenge game, man. Um, they're going to be out for blood and it's going to be almost Christmas and, you know, we're going to be on the road and mm-hmm. it's just, you know, Home Alone 2 is never as good as Home Alone 1. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So well, we just got to hope for the best and Indiana, you know, we we haven't beaten a high major since what Georgia Tech. So, you know, we got to get we got to get this win you know, give us some momentum, you know, right. and then, then we got Queens to open conference play on January 6th. So it, yeah, I'm with you guys. Right. Um, and I think I speak for all of us when I say, and we'll cross that bridge when we get to the game, but um, we're not going to feel too bad about an Asheville loss if it happens. I mean, it's like, okay, we, we split the series with them. We'll take our one win at home. Um, you know, it's been a long non-conference schedule. Um, obviously we want the win, but we won't think too much about it if we fall. I will say this, that gives me hope for UNC Asheville on the 23rd. It is on December 23rd. And if you guys are Seinfeld fans at all, that is the date of Festivus. And what is Festivus known for? Festivus miracles. Now I wouldn't quite call it a Festivus miracle, but winning that game by double digits, maybe 20, 30, that would be a Festivus miracle. And you know, let's all get out our Festivus polls and uh, hold our hands. All right. Well, thank you guys all so much for tuning into the Outchat Podcast. We will be back with the midweek update that will go up on Thursday morning. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter X at Kai Millette and at KSU Owl Howell. Make sure you're following our show account at Owl Chat Podcast and have notifications turned on so you're up to date on all new OCP episodes. Be sure to check out Kai's publication at BigOwlBlog.com and John's KSU message boards at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until we return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, Go Owls!